Let me invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 12. Nehemiah chapter 12, we'll be picking up our reading in verse 27. Uh, we've had uh, something of different experiments in how to read and uh, the text and go through there. There are many listings of different family groups and locations and activities. Uh, but this evening we focus our thoughts and attention on the dedication ceremony uh, of the wall and of the temple uh, that take place uh, formally uh, as the people of God uh, recognize his providential blessing. Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 27, uh, and then skipping down through the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophilites and from Ben-Gilgal and from the regions of Geba and Asmazeth, the singers that had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people in the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the, on the wall to the dung gate. And after them went Hoshishiah and half of the leaders of Judah, Azariah, and then there's a whole host of others mentioned, certain priests and their relatives, uh, with the musical instruments of David, down in verse 36, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them, at the fountain gate, they were up straight before, uh, before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall and above the house of David to the water gate on the east. And the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and the gate of Yoshana and by the fish gate and the tower of Haniel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate, and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. And he goes on to list a whole set of priests and pick up in verse 42. And the singers sang uh, with their leader, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, the tithes to gather them uh, into them, the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the day of David and Asaph there were directors of the singers and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and gatekeepers and they set apart that which was for the Levites and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Amen. May God bless that reading of His Word to us. Let us pray. O oh, Heavenly Father, we ask now that You would open Your book 
For indeed, we have even read of the scribes reading from it and all the people of God there assembling. We have read of the great construction work. We, we have read of the wall now being built and we come to this dedication and we seek light, O God. We ask that you might teach us how to live as those who trust in Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the wall and the temple are completed. Actually, technically, it's the other way around. The temple and the wall are now completed. They've been built, rebuilt in their entirety. And the only appropriate thing to do on such an occasion is what? Is to throw a party. But it's not just any kind of party. This is not a raucous party. This is a dedication celebration, an appropriate religious event officially and publicly and corporately marking what God has done for them in blessing them and restoring them to the land. Oh, it's not that every problem is solved. It's not that every uh, uh, thread is untangled. Uh, they find themselves surrounded by hostile nations. They are, they are ruled ultimately by a faraway emperor who, whose hand is still upon them in many ways, but, but they are back and the temple is rebuilt And they can worship the Lord and and the walls and the gates are reestablished and they can close them and lock out the world and they can do the will and word of God on each Sabbath day and so they can give glory to God as He commands in His place. So let me invite you. You get an invitation this evening to come to the party, to come to the dedication. This dramatic and festive event and see what's happening, and to understand. Well, the actors at the temple dedication are an interesting lot. First of all, there are the priests, and we're told in verse 1, which we didn't read, these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel. And then there's a long list which is given of those who served that were priests, and then a list of Levites that served. And in verse 30, we learn they had a particular function. The priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Now, before you misunderstand and think that uh, this was some sort of uh, pre-Christian pressure washing team, realize that it's not, uh, it's not pressure washing uh, hoses and guns that they have in their hands. It's not that kind of washing. Uh, It's not even a giant baths with uh, some sort of corporate swimming pool thing going on. No, this is a religious purification, a purification from sin, a purification from a brokenness between what God had commanded them to be doing and, and what they in truth and in reality and history were willing and able to do. They had been unfaithful. Their people had rebelled against the Lord. The hand of judgment had fallen upon them and upon their forefathers and they had been carried off into a foreign land. They had found themselves under oppression and unable to keep up the sacrificial rites and and to live out uh, life as God commanded in His law in Jerusalem. It couldn't be done. First they were afar off and then they were brought near. And so much had to be done. And, and there was such opposition and discouragement and entanglement. But the Lord had blessed. And by His grace they had persevered in spite of themselves. 
God in His providence had sent leadership and encouragement and they had worked and built and worked and built a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other and they had built the temple and then the wall. And so they formally marked that place, that temple, as specially dedicated to God. They were sinners. They had not followed the rites of God as they should. And so they were being purified by covenant renewal as blood was sprinkled on them, as water was sprinkled on them, as the Word of God was declared and their sins were officially confessed, acknowledged, and the hope of forgiveness held out in Yahweh to them. Oh, there was a group of priests who labored. And so there were religious rites that pointed to redemption and hope of not just Jerusalem, but the new Jerusalem to come. And of not just life together as the people of God in that place, but life forevermore in the presence of God, in the shining presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who was yet to come. And the radiance of God and of His throne so established in that place being the only sun that they ever needed to live by and see. Oh, the priests fulfilled their priestly function and prepared the people of God for this celebratory uh, dedication. And then there were all these Levites, priests and Levites. The, The Levites having a more unique role. What's highlighted for them is especially singing and thanksgiving. Uh, Back in verse 8, we read of a whole set of them, and they were in charge of songs of thanksgiving, and they could draft some of their extended family to help with that choir. In verse 24, uh, we read of the chiefs of the Levites uh, to praise and give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. And so we understand that it's not just that they're singing because they're happy. They were happy. This was a party. This was a celebration. But more than that, they were singing because God had commanded it in His Word. He had, through David, given very special commands about singing in the worship of God, and that particularly occurred during uh, the cultus activity. When, when animals were sacrificed, the, the band would strike up, the choir would sing. It was a part of the drama of the sacrifice to warm people's hearts, to draw their minds and hearts to God in absolute awe and thanksgiving and adoration for the salvation that He was providing for them, symbolizing even through the sacrificial system of Moses. Oh yes, the priests were there and and they did their part and the Levites were there and they sang. They sang according to the division and the arrangement that David himself had given. And the reference to David is not unimportant. We sang the 23rd Psalm and so we're right in the the I-10 superhighway with them singing the psalms, giving thanks to God in the words that David had had given them. You see, David was picked up and carried along by the Holy Spirit. A shepherd boy with a lyre, he grew up in the nurture and admonition of God. The hand of God's blessing was upon him, and he was the man after God's own heart, the one through whom the Messiah would come. 
And he was the great one through whom the Messiah would come. The one with whom uh, the kingly covenant was made. Uh, The one who heard the words, you will not build a house for me, but I will build a house for you. And here they were in the house of David, in the temple which God promised to build, in the city which, which he had directed David to capture and provided the strength so to do. All of the aspects of worship there rebuilt, newly appointed, and the form and worship of David and the fulfillment of that covenant yet hoped for in Christ Jesus our Lord was there on great display at the dedication and the party that they were enjoying. Oh, what were they busy singing? Well, it it wasn't the latest hit from some rock and roll group or poet. It was the It was the great songs that God had inspired through the prophet King David. The words of the Old Testament in the book of Psalms were meant for the people of God in all ages to sing. It's not just for the Old Testament. It's also for the New. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's why we go to the trouble to make inserts. That's why we go to the trouble to include in our public worship the singing and the joy of the Psalms of David. And so our worship today in that sense is right along with what our Old Testament believers before did. By the command of God, through his prophet David, he gave us these words. And in verse 27, we hear more about the Levites. They were sought out in all their places and they were brought to Jerusalem. Oh, they had settled in a a number of enclaves around Jerusalem, the singers particularly, having banded together. As I I reflected on this this week, I I sort of smiled quietly to myself. I thought of of Miss Gladys with all of her choir and and a bunch of moving vans just kind of moving them down Karen Lane. And, And Karen Lane is where all the choir singers would be and they would be able to easily come to practices and and how excellent their music would be if they were just a quick walk from the church and and they could gather together and practice and sing on any good and, and seasonal occasion in which we needed them, how nice that would be. And that's what happened back in the time of Nehemiah. The singers clumped together. They, they practiced. There was support provided for them, encouragement. They sang with, with hymns and songs and instruments. God gave them all that was needed for this dedication and for this praise to His name. And there's a reference in verse 31 to another set of actors, just in passing. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. It's possible that this language of the leaders of Judah refers particularly to the civic leaders. Yes, they were they were members of the of the household of God, the household of faith, but but they had a a representative, a an official kind of role to play in this theocracy as it worked itself out on this special day. But it's also possible that the leaders of Judah being mentioned here are by implication the leaders of the Levites and of the priests who are embedded with uh, the tribe of Judah and among them. But in either case, the point is the same. The actors are not uh, who are taking center stage are not the civil officials in and of themselves. It's the priests and the Levites. This is a religious celebration and dedication which is taking place. Well, if we've got all the actors outlined, what's the program? What is it that they're busy doing? 
Well, it turns out there are two great processions. Not just a choir, two choirs. And not just two choirs, but two marching choirs. You know, as a, as a kid, my, uh, my first experience of Texas A&M was watching uh, Saturday afternoon football and, and hearing the fight song and, and watching that marching band march up and down the aisle. Now, I suspect the University of Texas has a marching band. I've, I've never heard it. I'm sure it's wonderful, but you know, that A&M marching band, it's so, they just do amazing things. I, I can't play a horn. And I can't imagine getting your fingers in the right order as your feet have to do something else. That just sounds a little too complicated. Maybe you think I'm easily impressed. Well, probably so. But these two great choirs are not just choirs. They're marching choirs. And we're not talking about just kind of marching down the aisle. You know, chairs on one side, chairs on the other side, somebody in front, somebody behind. A child could do it. There's, there's no great complication. You know what to do step by step. No, they're, they're marching on the wall. Years ago when our family first went to Scotland, um, I got an education in the safe society of America versus the more rough and tumble of the north of Britain. I've forgotten the name of which castle. We tried to visit them all. And, and we went up on the top of the castle. We went up on the wall and we started marching around it. And, and all of a sudden I realized, hey, there, there, there are no fences and, and there are no handrails. And, and there are no little signs saying, my, you know, watch your step or mind your step. It basically was, if you're crazy enough to go up there, then don't fall off. Well, in the same way, these... These dedicated singers are busy singing. They're busy marching. This would be before the, the uh, frequent advent of something um, to use as sheet music. Doubt if they're carrying lots of clay tablets or, or uh, 100,000 sheep were uh, sacrificed to make uh, parchment on which to, uh, sheepskin on which to write. But, but can't you see them there marching on either side? They start at one end and, and they go north and south and then they meet up on the other side right at the temple. What an amazing program. Everyone in town would know about it. And think about the pagans who would be looking from afar, who would have their spies in the land. What are those Jews up to? What is Israel doing? It must be no good. What are they up to? And they would see the choirs marching. and They would think nothing of it. Two processions, verse 31 tells us. One to the south and then the other to the north. And they're singing the Psalms of David. They are marching around the city of David. They are going to the house of David that God promised him. They are celebrating the goodness of God and the blessing that he has given them in fulfilling his covenant promises. These two Levitical choirs, one is said to remember David and Solomon and Asaph. These leaders of singers and praise and song and hymns of thanksgiving are are just a reference to the Psalter given by David in the Old Testament. And in verse 47, we, we hear that these things are important enough that they're worth paying for. And so there are... Uh, Singers and gatekeepers and Levites and priests that have to be provided for in a practical system through which that is to be handled, that they might not just do their art, 
this is not art for art's sake. It's so that they might do the art of worship according to the law and the command of God. It's not the guys in Greenwich Village that they're looking over their shoulder trying to please. They're looking up to heaven and they're looking down to the word of God. How can we show our love to the Lord by following his word? We have the freedom to follow his word now. We have a city. We have walls. We have a temple. How do we worship the Lord in the way that he's appointed to most please him? And they have instruments. Now, you know, I am, uh, I am no Old Testament instrumental expert. There, there are such. I, I can tell you that, that the kinds of instruments used uh, might not be so pleasing to our ear. Uh, uh, this is not uh, uh, the British Philharmonic. Uh, it is a group playing on lyres and, and other instruments, trumpets they would have had in the day. And it is not so much uh, uh, some sort of impressive musical complex score for, for the uh, artistic and, and technique sake. Rather, they are accompanying congregational singing, which is what the Psalms were for, and also to inspire all to help people be gobsmacked as the sacrifice happened in the temple, as the knife was plunged into the sacrificial animal, the band would strike up, the people of God would be overwhelmed by the sight and the sound and the singing and the instruments, and so their attention would be riveted on that focal point. Oh, you can imagine being there. They march all the way around the city, they go into the temple... And the instruments strike up right at the point where the priest takes the knife and plunges it into the sacrificial victim. That was the high point in focal. That was the focus of what was happening. It was to teach them about the importance of the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. It's not that the blood of a bull or a goat or, or a sheep or a turtle dove would save them, but that pointed to the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They were learning in shadow form about Calvary and about the importance of that day and of that moment and of that work of Jesus Christ. Ezra the scribe leads them in verse 36. There are trumpets involved. And all the audience could see and could hear this great display. Now it's interesting that it's the Levites that are doing this. Oh, there are a few others helping them in coordinating and and sort of representing the whole. But at the end of the day, it's one of the 12 tribes which is doing this great work. And the other 11 tribes are sitting on the side and they're watching. They're part of the audience. Verse 43 tells us, And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. And so here are the women and the children, not excluded, not not sent off to some far-off place. They're watching. Babies are being held and rocked and nursed and comforted. And the singers are marching and, and the sacrifice is being done. And there is great explosive joy among the people of God. 
But now remember who was there and how they arrived. They were in that place watching that dedication, participating as the audience, responding in joy and thanksgiving and praise to God, to all the music and celebration, because God had brought them back to the land to reestablish the city, to reestablish the temple in which Jesus would walk. God had brought them from exile off in Babylon. And there had been two great waves of invasion that had taken their people away. In 740 B.C., there was this assault from the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians came into the northern kingdom and they dragged away the ten tribes of the north. You know, it's true. I don't say this for sectional reasons. But it's true. The northern kingdom was more wicked than the southern kingdom. They fell first. The hand of God's judgment was upon them. And they were not just uh, more wicked and, and punished more quickly because of it, but actually the kind of punishment that they faced is something that we don't really understand. They faced a kind of ethnic cleansing that is breathtaking. It was with bureaucratic precision that every family in the north who was dragged away, was put in a different village or place. They were scattered throughout the Assyrian Empire from one end to the other. They were dispersed as if they were fertilizer to generally be assimilated by the empire for its use and purpose rather than clumping them all up in one place where they might fester and stink. And opposition might arise. And their culture might be retained. And their knowledge of Hebrew. And their worship of God. And their raising of children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The Assyrians wanted none of this. And so they crushed them. And they cut them into little tiny family units. And they spread them to the wind. And the ten tribes of the north simply disappeared. Did you know that Israel, modern Israel today is a nation state. Periodically, there will be groups that arise and say, we are part of the lost ten tribes. And Israel sends in a medical team, and they take blood samples, and they do genetic testing to see, well, maybe they are. Still hunting for the ten tribes. Dispersed and assimilated among the rest of the world. And then the south was invaded because at the end of the day, as things stand before God, they were no better. They were sinners too. And in 597 B.C., the Babylonians overran them and took them away. But the Babylonian phase of the captivity was more merciful. They were taken away as large units. They were settled in particular places together. They were commanded and encouraged to keep up their language and their culture and their religion. And so the Lord in His providence had prepared the kind of cruelty and terror in Babylon to be a strange, dark nursery in which the people of God could learn their lesson, take their whipping, and learn to long to love Him more and to live aright back in the land. And so in His kind providence, they were returned. The southern kingdom, made up primarily of Judah, Maybe some from Benjamin. 
Maybe in that place, doubtless, a few from the other ten tribes having been dispersed in that region, but just a few. And then a small subset, a remnant of that, went back and settled in Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple and rebuilt the wall and were there gathered even just now in our mind's eye at the dedication celebration of the blessing of God. Oh, they were all there in greater number from the south in fewer number from the north. All the tribes, as God and His providence had appointed, were present for the dedication on that great day. What a glorious occasion it was. And under Old Testament shadow, most believing men and women had a humble role to play in that day. It's not that you could apply and become a singer. You couldn't audition. Uh, You couldn't ask to have a special role in in the dedication ceremony. You didn't try out for a part in the play. This was all according to the command of God. And one tribe was busy doing all the acting, the Levites, and the rest of the people of God participated merely as audience. Now, they were all equal in their status before God. They were all made in His image. They were all redeemed by the blood of the Messiah to come if they trusted in the Lord. But they each had their unique assigned parts in this redemptive historical play. And that's a lesson to us. You know, my family gives thanks to God that the only meal that I, only two meals I get to cook are scrambled eggs for breakfast. And if something's to be baked on the grill, cooked on the grill, then I'm allowed in the kitchen. But the rest of the time, a wise division is not to have me there trying to make something beyond my kin. And that doesn't mean that my wife is a better human being than I am. It doesn't mean that I'm somehow inferior to her in my essence. It just means that we have a wise and different role relationship to play. Sometimes role relationships are dictated not by talent and common sense, but but sometimes they're dictated by government. Sometimes they're dictated by God Himself. And so we give respect to those that have authority above us, whether it be the state in requiring our sons to sign up and to go off to war, or whether it be to God Himself in assigning different roles for us to play in the life of the corporate church gathered. It says nothing of our essence. We all are together, equal before God, but we have a different role to play. Oh, they were on the stage during this Old Testament dispensation and the Levites particularly were taking center stage but don't for one moment think that they were representing the people they were not they were fulfilling the command of God to provide religious leadership this was the way that God had appointed it in his word they had gone through the dedication they had gone through the purification on that day to turn over a new leaf and begin doing it right according to God's Word, according to God's law. You see, everything in the Old Testament Mosaic Law, in one way or another, pointed to Christ and to His benefits. The Son of God was the whole point of the temple and the whole point of the rituals in the temple. The temple and its rituals foreshadowed Christ and His benefits which would flow by the grace of God, not just to the Levites, but to every member of the congregation 
and ultimately out the door to every tongue and tribe and people and nation. Praise the Lord. And so that means, for example, that our present-day adult choir that, that Gladys organizes and sings seasonally and they do so well and we give thanks to God for them, they are not an extension of Levite ministry. I don't know. I, I have no reason to think that any of them have Levite blood flowing through their veins. Maybe the nation of Israel can do a test and tell. But that's not what they're there for. They are to aid us in congregational singing. They are to prepare us for the worship of God. And that's a function of a part of the congregation for the whole of the congregation. And that's different than what we're reading about here in Nehemiah chapter 12. Oh, Old Testament temple worship in all of the form and order which is given here served its purpose in the providence and appointing of God because it was eventually fulfilled when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ came. That old temple, that whole temple was built not just so sacrifices could be done that would point to Jesus, not just so the Levites could sing and the instrumentalists could play that that might point to Jesus, but so that on that day Jesus would enter His temple He would enter his temple and he would clean out the ones who sought to turn it into a den of robbers. And he would be able to say, looking into the whites of their eyes, tear it down and I will build it again in three days. The temple pointed to Jesus that God tabernacled among us in him, that he indeed would be raised from the dead in three days. That is why that whole stage for all of this religious uh, reenactment occurred was just for that point that Jesus Christ our Lord would come. And then God tore it down again forever until He comes again. He tore it down using the Romans. They were a little upset by some of the things that had happened in a rebellion or two. And, and so they crushed that city. They killed men, women, and children and they knocked all the stones over. It was a great and thorough devastation. But what do Levitical choirs in the Old Testament really mean for us? Well, their performance was not an end in itself, but their performance was to highlight the cultus. It was to highlight the sacrifice. It was to highlight and point dramatically to the cross of Calvary. It was to teach us all that the Good Friday service is indeed good. That God sacrificing His Son on the cross for our sins was good and great and holy and something over which to give Him thanks. It was to teach us to cry out, free at last, free at last, thank God from sin, we are free at last. And the mothers and children saw it. And all the men from the other 11 tribes, they saw it and heard that ministry of God's Word. And so we are blessed because of its pointing to Jesus with the fruit and blessing of His ministry in our heart and life today. I am not a Levite. I'm not even an Old Testament scribe. I'm not going to build a platform of wood and, and read a long Hebrew text to you. But what I am here today to do is to tell you that Jesus is King and Lord of all. 
that this text teaches you and me that we should have joy in our lives, that we should respond joyfully and thankfully to the substance to which this pointed to, even Jesus Christ. Do you love the Lord? Do you love Him enough to let that be the center point of all of your life? Are you chasing after rainbows? Are you chasing after something else? Or is Jesus the focal point? Is He the point at which your heart sings and the quivers go up and, back your, up and down the back of your spine, that your focus and your attention is upon Him and what He has done for your hope and for your salvation? And you can also, we can also learn from this text that our brothers and sisters of old faced life in a fallen world under fire. They faced life in a difficult time. They had been oppressed far beyond what we can even imagine. They had been deprived and under the pinching of the flesh in ways that we ourselves can't even imagine. And yet they were faithful. Yes, through thick and thin. Yes, through up and down. Yes, on occasions of, occasions of encouragement and discouragement. But God in His mercy helped them plow the furrow straight all the way through. And so, in all the ups and downs of life, the Lord's faithfulness to you can make you faithful and you able to love Him and serve Him come what may. They were helping to prepare the way of the Lord. The temple that they built was the temple into which Jesus Christ walked as its fulfillment. The walls that they built were walls that Jesus Christ saw and touched that protected and made room and safety for Him to come into the world to complete His mission on behalf of His Heavenly Father for our salvation and your life. You see, this text teaches us that your life is not lived for yourself. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And your life has an appointed divine intent. You are one who will not prepare the way for the Lord coming in His incarnation, coming to make atonement. But your life is one that should be dedicated to preparing the way for the Lord as He comes again. As His gospel goes forth, as His word commands, to every tongue and tribe and people and nation. Starting at home and and in your neighborhood and and in your extended family and, and the context that you have and the congregation in which you live, you seek, and so you should, to give glory to God in all things and to aid and abet the expansion of the kingdom and the growth of the family of God. Oh, we learn what faithfulness looks like under fire and it teaches us, it teaches us to live to the glory of God as well. And so the dedication ceremony is a grand occasion. It's like, it's even better than watching a British uh, uh, member of the royal family marry. It's more dramatic than the 200th anniversary of our own country. Uh, there are no fireworks happening here, but there's, there's so much which draws our mind and our heart in thanksgiving to God. And so the only question we're left with is, will we, by His grace, seek His face in glory?
Let us pray. Oh, our Father and God, we do ask that you might help us to have our hearts lifted up, that you might help us to appreciate the fruit of good Christian living and the way that you use others in the past to bring glory to your name and that you promise you will use us as well. Help us not to quench the Spirit, but to live by the Spirit and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.